I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. All right, this may be news to some of us, but COVID is still with us. That said, it's not what it used to be, even just a few months ago. Mask mandates are dropping like flies all around us, like at the Nashville airport and on city buses. Traffic has slowed down so much at the city's testing and vaccination sites that the one near downtown will shut down at the end of the week. But the question is, can we all worry a little bit less at this point? We're going to do a pandemic check in this hour and to kick it off, our senior healthcare reporter Blake Farmer joins us now with a roundup of everything you need to know. Blake, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me and better to be here today than a few months ago when, when you know, COVID was, was off the charts. Well, you know, let's start with those charts. What are the numbers in Tennessee and Nashville right now? Well, I'm going to try to steer away from from real specific numbers, but but here here's the point. Um, you know, um, first of all, there's not a whole lot of difference between you know Nashville and the rest of the state, uh, urban and rural. You know, pretty much in the same boat at this point. Statewide, uh, we're in a pretty good place. Case counts actually have been rising, um, especially here in Davidson County since the 1st of April. Um, and I'll explain more on that. And we know that there are far more cases than are being reported. Uh, just yesterday, the Centers for Disease Control said their math is about like three times more cases than the numbers that are being reported. But public health officials aren't overly concerned. Well, why not? I mean, why couldn't these be the beginning of another surge? You know, I've, I've kind of been wondering the same thing. We've also thought COVID was kind of over uh, one too many times at this point. But we've got some interesting new data out this week. Uh, the CDC has been tracking blood samples throughout the pandemic. Uh, so this is like a sample, sample, blood samples from around the country from many, many people. Um, and they test them for antibodies that would show that someone has recovered from COVID-19. And in December, that figure was roughly like a third of the population was showing antibodies fr from getting over sickness. And the latest shows nearly 60% of us with antibodies. And um, for kids, it's even higher, like 75%. That's starting to sound like herd immunity, right? Okay. Uh, you know, public health experts are trying to kind of steer us away from the idea of herd immunity. And I'll uh, let Dr. James Hildreth, the real expert, uh, talk about that later, perhaps in the hour. Okay. Um, but but we, we now all know that you can definitely get COVID twice, right? Even with vaccination. I mean, uh, you probably know somebody who has. But the disease tends to be less serious, um, less likely to land you in the hospital, which is a big deal. And not only that, but the new variants don't seem to be more infectious. Um, obviously, COVID has thrown us all kinds of curveballs, but there, there's a bit of reason for optimism. Okay, is, is optimism the reason we've seen so one of the big testing and vaccination sites close here in Nashville and mask mandates drop at the airport and on public transportation? Well, you know, those those really weren't kind of made out of optimistic projections or something. Um, you know, with the testing site that's off Charlotte Avenue, uh, it's just been so slow um, that, um, you know, so it's kind of related to the numbers of folks who, who want to get tested and the few people who are left uh, who want to get vaccinated. With the mask requirements going away, this was not exactly what the CDC wanted. Um, this comes from a Florida court order in a case that was challenging mask requirements um, on public transit. 
and it applied nationwide. So the CDC still recommends masks on public transportation. They've made that very clear even this week. Um, I was on a call with them, um, and, and they certainly are optimistic, though, um, even if still you know a little more cautious uh, than some people would like. Okay, so we know people are still getting sick, as you mentioned. What are health officials recommending folks do if they contract COVID now? Well, you know, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to worry as much as you used to, right? Um, Though I think we've all heard stories at this point of people still getting quite ill from from this Omicron variant. Um, So it'd be wise to track down these antivirals that are now available. I think we we kind of have forgotten these uh, to a uh, a degree. Um, They're free. The trick is just finding a pharmacy that has them on hand. These are, uh, there are a couple of drugs. One of them's Paxlovid. But um, they are more available than they used to be. You just need your doctor, presuming you have one, to call in a prescription. And one note, um, it is key to start taking them early or else they may not do much good at minimizing your symptoms. So let's talk about Tennessee's pandemic scorecard at this point. It's really not great. The death rate from COVID is now higher than just a handful of states, and the vaccination rate is among the lowest. What does that say about the effectiveness of the state's response? You know, to me, It says there was quite a bit of room for improvement. Um, You know, early in the pandemic, it's hard to even remember this far back, but, you know, two years ago, Tennessee looked like it might be doing something right. Um, Hmm. um, And, you know, many times since then, though, uh, it's clear that Tennessee was likely doing something wrong. Um, I actually had a sit-down interview with Dr. Lisa Piercy to talk about this. She's the state's health commissioner, essentially the pandemic chief. And, you know, as the acute phase of the pandemic is hopefully ending, um, she's asking for people to consider broader metrics for judging the state's success. I challenge you to think about when, you know, we had that day in the sun, good or bad. We were doing the best or there were a few days where we had some of the worst metrics in the nation. That was judged on physical health alone. And I would challenge you to not think of it solely in that vein, because when we look at what were the economic implications, what were the mental health implications, what were the societal implications, we've just been measuring on physical health. There's a whole lot more than that. Now, that's a challenge I feel like a lot of folks may not be ready for. Okay, so, Blake, we know COVID's not over. I mean, we still know people who are just getting over a case. What are you looking out for at this point? You know, it will be really interesting to see what happens when a COVID vaccine is approved for kids under five years old. The CDC says it's still important to get the broader protection that's provided by a vaccine rather than, you know, just having getting over an illness. But I can imagine a lot of resistance, especially in a state like Tennessee that was pushing back when the state was promoting COVID shots for teens. I mean, now we're talking about toddlers. Long COVID is also going to be with us for a long time. You know, who knows how long? Mm -hmm. And you're seeing groups pop up already. I mean, they've been around for a while that offer support to the degree that they can. And, of course, places like uh, Vanderbilt, Meharry are studying it. But whether officially long COVID or just basically a disability from being hospitalized for months on a ventilator, states like Tennessee have a lot of people who aren't just going to bounce back from this. And we're here to follow their stories. That is WPLN health reporter Blake Farmer. Blake, thank you for the update, my friend. My pleasure. We have to take a short break. 
When we come back, we're going to invite a few community members to hear how they're feeling as this pandemic lingers on. And we want to hear from you. Tweet us at This Is Nashville, and we'll get your comments and questions on air this hour. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Two months ago, I was pretty fasti fastidious in wearing my mask. It was on at work, while shopping, even sometimes in the car. Then, as the weather got warmer and the COVID numbers seemed to dip, so did my commitment to, to that routine. Does that sound familiar? Yes, COVID fatigue is real. While many people feel the worst days of the pandemic are behind us, it is not over, especially for those among us who are the most vulnerable, like the immunocompromised. To gain some insight, we've invited a panel of community members to share how they're navigating COVID day in, day out. Photographer Stacey Irvin, insurance professional Megan Staggs, and restaurateur Grace Zeng, welcome all of you to This is Nashville. So Stacey, I want to start with you. I understand you're living with multiple sclerosis. So what have the past two years been like for you? Um, yes, it's it's been difficult. I know it's been difficult for all of us, uh, but um, I'm on a treatment for MS uh, that suppresses my immune system by killing B cells and B cells um, create antibodies um, to help us fight infections. So. It does, uh, you know, my immune system with MS is overly active. It attacks parts of my brain and spine. So um, that treatment is supposed to help quell my immune system. But yeah, it does put me at more risk um, for infections. And uh, so it's been scary uh, to think about getting COVID or any illness that especially would cause me a fever um, because I am very heat intolerant. Uh, heat really exacerbates all of my MS symptoms. And um, so it's been isolating uh, and difficult to wrestle with uh, making decisions about social activities and how to keep connected with my friends and most of my friends and loved ones, you know, have not wanted to put me at risk. And so they've been extra cautious. And, you know, it's just been kind of a minefield to navigate. What have some of the scarier moments been for you? Oh, um, well, I, I have an incredible care person who comes um, twice a week and helps with my um, uh, housekeeping, food preparation, laundry, all the tasks that are more difficult to me in my um, physical state. I, my uh, mobility has declined and gets in the way of me uh, doing a lot of the things I used to do. Um, and just navigating um, initially before I found the care person that comes um, you know, every week, you know, I had to go through a bunch of different ones and 
uh, many weren't vaccinated and, you know, just navigating how to stay protected. I mean, we were wearing masks, uh, cloth masks at the time um, before N95s were readily available. And that was pretty nerve wracking. Um, and so I've dealt with uh, figuring out the safest way to be with, with someone in my house who uh, is more out in the world and exposed to others than I am. Um, but with advice from my doctor and, um, and an incredible, uh, just my caregiver now is, is very compliant with all my requests and doesn't want me to get sick. So uh, despite being unvaccinated, um, she wears an N95, I wear one. She was taking a test before I sent her home with rapid tests. And she took one every morning before she came to my house uh, during the Omicron surge. And, um, and it's just, uh, you know, I had home PT, physical therapy and occupational therapy. And my physical therapist was vaccinated, but he told me he wasn't going to get a booster that, you know, his immune system should be able to handle it. But, you know, he didn't, and he refused to take a test that I would send him home with before he came. So I had to take a break from PT and until I found a new physical therapy place that's, you know, a little more um, compliant with the vaccinations and things. It, it's just been tough navigating. And, uh, you know, we are all uh, navigating our comfort zones with COVID. So for me, you know, just with friends, figuring out what being safe means has been uh, a challenge and you really have to define it very well and clearly to people, <laughs> Yeah, you know, to make sure you're on the same page. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're in really good spirits with this right now. Um, well, I am in much better spirits, uh, lately because I just received, uh, Evusheld, which is two monoclonal antibodies that work together and last a long time in your body and they're anti-COVID um, antibodies. So because I don't have antibodies, um, these were emergency use authorized, in, use authorized, I think in December, but they were very scarce and for immunocompromised people. So I've been waiting till I could get it and it's a little more available for us now in Nashville. And I just got it um, 13 days ago and it takes 10 to 14 days to kind of take full effect. It has a really, the, the cl tr clinical trial data is very impressive. So I'm um, You've got good beginning things to, to look feel forward a lot to. more yeah. optimistic. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. Now, yeah. Grace, you and your mother work closely together, running Mama Yang and Daughter. You both interact with customers on a daily basis. So how have you been approaching safety during the pandemic? 
Well, for us, we started out as a pickup only uh, food business, and now we are mostly prepping in the kitchen, selling at farmers markets. So, I actually face customers more in that sense that my mom just mostly in the kitchen wearing her mask. Um, I remember back in December, actually this last past year, we offer some dumpling classes,、uh, in-person dumpling classes, and at that point. Because the the cases were going down, so we we're like, okay, we we want to do this with people, and then we realized afterwards there were a few customers who dropped out of dumpling classes because the cases were going up again、uh, later in December, and that's when we started to realize, well, maybe in-person dumpling classes is not the best idea. Even when we had the customers in there, everybody was super participatory. Everybody was wearing masks and、uh, wearing gloves while they are making the dumplings. Everybody, all our customers were like super supportive and being on board with us.、Um, but at this point right now, because kitchen had a, our commercial kitchen had a ma- mask mandate, and、uh, not anymore. However,、um, my parents now, my mom's. Is still wearing a mask to protect herself or whatever makes her feel comfortable.、Mm-hmm. And I remember asking her yesterday. I was like, "Do you think it's necessary to continue wearing masks?" She's like, "Why not? Because you know we're in food businesses. We're making dumplings. So if you end up talking to one another, your saliva might fly across the <laughs>、um, on the、uh, prep table. So why not? I'm I'm comfortable. And for me." I'm happy that whatever makes her feel comfortable is what's important to me. Her health is number one, and、um, I mean, I am personally because with vaccinations and booster shot, I'm eager to go back to normalcy, whatever that means. <laughs> normalcy, maybe. Yeah.、Um, however, I do feel like、um, during pandemic or even working closely with one another in food businesses. Thinking about small food businesses, everybody is trying to make it, trying to、um, uh, just trying to still have the business running.、Um, but as a small food business owner, you have so many different roles. And when it comes to that, this is another point I would like to address. Like you, you have so much stress already. I'm definitely going to ask you about that. I want to ask you about the stress and how things have changed a little bit later on. Um, but I want to jump to Megan right, real quick. Megan, you know you're a new mom, is that right? That's correct. I have twin girls, just five months. Five months. Congratulations to you.、Um, how has that affected how you feel about COVID lately? So,、um, so you know, similar to Grace, there's someone that I'm、um, caring for, looking out for their health. There are two little girls I'm looking out for their health, and I,、um, you know. While it's not so much my health that I'm concerned with,、um, it's you know they're they're developing tiny immune systems. I think you know even through my pregnancy, that was something I had to navigate prior to the vaccine coming out. I couldn't wait to get past my first trimester so that I could get vaccinated and get the booster shot and give the girls、um, you know some of the, the antibodies from that as well. But、um, there's been you know it's been challenging.、Um, Stressful at times. I think childcare was one of the most stressful、um, parts of of the pandemic for me, and and getting back to work and you know weighing whether or not to go the nanny route or daycare route. And it was actually the Omicron variant and how mild it was that gave me a sense of 
you know, sense of somewhat security of, of putting the girls back in, you know, putting the girls into daycare rather than going the nanny route. But um, I think just day in and day out, everything from still doing the the target drive up orders um, to, you know, drive up groceries. So I don't take the girls into any location. I'm still very, I'm still wearing my mask when I do go into places. And then I also limit um, who I spend my time with, you know, just based on it's, it's not my place to, to, to say whether or not it's right or wrong for others to, to, um, wear masks. Like, uh, Stacy said, we're all just navigating our own comfort zone with it. So, um, this household is still very COVID cautious. You know, we talked, we reached out to the community to ask, to get their opinions and their thoughts. We got a voicemail from Abhinav Krishnan. He's a junior at Vanderbilt. Being on campus was like living in a little bubble. You'd step off campus and people wouldn't be wearing masks. And then one day Vanderbilt decided that masks weren't required anymore. And now it doesn't really feel like we're living in a pandemic. I mean, it's pretty confusing. At the national level, you're no longer required to wear masks for air travel. At the local level, you're no longer required to wear masks on public transportation. And as Abhinav pointed out, many people have stopped wearing them in their daily lives a while ago. I'm curious to how you all are responding to the most recent changes in masking. Stacy. Well, I continue to wear a mask. Um, you know, I, I, at the end of 2020, I had to stop driving because of uh, difficulty with my right leg. Um, and so... I've been doing the, you know, I had started doing grocery pickup and now I'm doing delivery. So I don't, I don't interface. I'm not going to grocery, I mean, to restaurants um, and eating indoors unmasked. Um, and I'm not sure when I will. My doctor gave me some advice this morning, just possibly go early or make an early reservation. And, you know, when the restaurant is less full, um, but you know, he's, he's like, I'm much better protected, but I still with Evusheld, but I still, you know, there's no guarantees with this disease that we're still learning about. So I am, you know, the N95 it's, it's, uh, you know, for me, I'll, I'll wear it. Sometimes I take access ride and a lot of the people on the, on the shuttle, and it's not too crowded at all, um, wear masks as well. Um, so I just keep my mask on and um, hope for the best. Uh, but I really am not out in crowded indoor spaces um, with unmasked at all still. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. This hour is all about the pandemic. How are you feeling about it? What questions do you have? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. So as we get deeper into the spring, summer approaches, people are heading out to events, dining at restaurants, getting together a lot more often. All of these are environments where people can contract and spread the virus regardless of their vaccination status. Grace, how do you feel about this, this rush to get back to normal? Um, personally, I'm ready to get back to normal, hmm. but at the same time, I am still carrying my antibacterial wipes. I still have my hand sanitizer. So when I'm outside, I'm not wearing a mask at all. Um, but if I'm inside, for example, traveling, 
I'm still gonna wear a mask because people fly in and out on so many different places at, at airports and on airplanes. So um, I'm still pretty precautious uh, when, when it comes to traveling, but out in public right now, I'm currently not wearing a mask and I feel comfortable. But again, everybody's comfort level is different. You know, Megan, you know, is it about really assessing each person's own risk level? I mean, some people may feel like they can take on whatever comes since they've been vaccinated and boosted. In your mind, is that a selfish way to look at it? Um, I, I do think it's about assessing our own risk level and, you know, what we're we're comfortable with. And I would have said earlier on in the pandemic, yes, my answer would have been it's selfish. At this point, it I would say it's not my place to judge others and it's really about my comfort level and and what I'm willing to accept from a from a risk level, um, you know, in, in, in the, the return to normalcy. Stacy, what's your response to that? I agree that, you know, I have to weigh, you know, my mental health and, and the importance of being social. And when I get to be interfaced with my good friends uh, in person, it makes a huge difference. So I um, have to weigh, you know, just how exposed are my friends, how comfortable are they, you know, some want to wear a mask uh, if they're hanging out with me inside um, because they feel like they were, you know, they recently traveled or did something that they, you know, aren't sure about. But, um, you know, for me, I'm beginning to take the risk in some instances, you know, um, with friends and, you know, they'll pick me up and we'll, you know, obviously outdoors, we're not wearing masks. Sometimes we wear a mask in the car or not when, once we get to the park or the greenway or wherever we're going. Um, so it's, you know, um, I have family members who will take a rapid test before they come visit me. Um, you know, just little things, but now that I have Evusheld, you know, I'm not ready to just get out there and um, party in, in <laughs> crowded places, but I'm also, you know, just weighing the risks and benefits. And I totally don't blame people for wanting and going back to quote, um, you know, normal and quote, like it's, um, yeah, I'm not mad at people um, for relaxing if they feel more comfortable, I just appreciate my friends being open with me about kind of their risk levels. And, um, you know, my, my care person has another job in a um, more crowded indoor setting. And so, you know, we, we're going to continue to wear N95s um, in the house and, mm -hmm. You know, so it's just figuring it out with each person in your life and <laughs> and just hoping for the best. So yeah, um, I've got to, I want to be go back to normal. I don't know exactly what normal is for me because so much has changed in my own disease progression since the pandemic began. So life is is new in many aspects, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what normal is for any of us. And uh, yeah. personally, I, I'm looking to discover what the new normal is going to be. You know, it's been like 
almost two and a half years since this pandemic began, as I mentioned earlier, and we're all tired and frustrated. I think all of us have expressed that sense in this conversation so far. We got a tweet from a Twitter user who goes by Lurch Marley, who said, I haven't been to a public place in over two years, probably won't for at least another year. Every time it starts to get better, they start lifting mask mandates and make it unsafe again. So Grace, you work with the public and you started talking about this a little bit earlier. How have the public's attitudes and behaviors changed as the months wore on? I think um, with our, cause we learned to adapt during pandemic, right? And a lot of people, their emotional comfort, their emotional control is less, they are more volatile. Let's just say it like mm. that. And um, like, for example, if there are things that misunderstanding or a problem arises, people are tend to be more aggressive, using the words more aggressively, instead of, you know, withdrawing the emotion and let's deal with this logically. And I think uh, pandemic has a lot to do with this because everybody's getting quite tired of this and uh, they want to, uh, again, go back to normalcy. But I think because we train our brain, brain to, to adapt to that environment. Now we have to learn how to adapt to a different environment after the pandemic is over. So I think it just takes time and the, the emotional aspect of it is actually pretty challenging. I'm sure there's a lot of people who has uh, mental stress or mental illness because of this pandemic. You know, Dr. James Hildreth from Meharry is going to join us to answer listener questions after the break. Grace, what question do you have for Dr. Hildreth? Um, honestly, I really want to learn more about mental health, um, how people, how, what kind of suggestions he has um, dealing with the new normal or what you call the normal and how to um, better accommodate to the society as a whole. Quickly, that sense? Quick, yeah. quickly, Stacy, what about you? What's your question? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm interested in just knowing more about uh, the antiviral oral treatments, you know, if you were to get COVID and, um, you know, when younger, uh, under five uh, kids can, can be vaccinated and just how to help protect the most vulnerable going forward. I think Evusheld is still not readily known about uh, to some of my immunocompromised friends. And, and that is, is a game changer, I think, for a lot of us. So I well, hope it, more people can get access to it. Well, stay tuned. Hopefully we can get those answers for you. Stacey Irvin, Megan Staggs, and Grace Singh, thank you all for joining us today and stay safe out there. It's not too late to send us your questions. After a short break, Dr. James Hildreth from President Biden's COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force will join us to answer them. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville.
With BNA dropping its mask mandate and the city announcing it's shutting down one of its free testing sites by the end of this week, it makes sense that there's some confusion when it comes to the pandemic. What should we do? How can we keep the most vulnerable among us safe? To answer these questions, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. James Hildreth, president of Meharry Medical College. He was a mainstay at the city's COVID updates, and he serves as a member of President Biden's Health Equity Task Force. Dr. Hildreth, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Khalil. I'm happy to be here with you today. So let's start talking about vaccinations. Chandra Kennard at the Hillsborough Transit Center yesterday, she is a breast cancer survivor herself, and here's what she shared with us about vaccines. I think people need to educate themselves instead of believing everything that they read or hear. If you want to feel like it's going to make you grow ears or horn, then read about it. Educate yourself, you know, please. So Dr. Hildreth, what's the best guidance when it comes to vaccines and boosters? And how do we approach folks who are still hesitant to get theirs? I think we first have to be reminded that vaccines are the best tool we have to control the spread of the virus and to put this behind us um, and be reminded that they were subjected to a rigorous large-scale evaluation and uh, volunteers. And we're grateful to the volunteers for that service. Um, they're very safe. Um, there are always going to be a minor number of side effects that happen in some individuals, but by and large, uh, the vaccines are the best hope we have for putting this behind us. I would also remind people that the three vaccines in the United States are not the only ones. There are 20, more than 20 vaccines being used around the world. And as I said and speak with you today, more than 11 billion shots have been given to more than 4 billion people. And so as far as I know, none of them have lost arms or grown horns. Um, so these vaccines are really safe. I mean, I'm vaxxed and boosted and I haven't developed any special powers yet. <laughs> um, yes. would, the, would the current vaccines be effective against a new variant? Khalil, that depends on how different the new variant is from the original strain that the vaccines were based on. And it's one of our continual concerns that the virus will mutate to the point that the vaccine antibodies that we made will not be as effective against the new variants as they were against the, the original uh, viruses we got exposed to. And I believe the vaccine producers are now working on modified vaccines to more closely match the variants that are circulating. And, uh, you know, uh, Omicron is now has three derivatives, the latest one being BA2. 0.12.1, and it's rapidly displacing uh, the one that preceded it. And that's what these viruses do. They continually change. Uh, and so I think the vaccine manufacturers are trying to keep up with the virus, but it's a challenge um, because viruses evolved in timescales measured in minutes or hours, of course. And, you know, you, we can't really match that, but we do the best we can. So obviously masks are on a lot of minds right now after a federal ruling has basically said that mask mandates on tr public transit have to be gone. You know, I want to, here's a voice message we got from William Jenkins on the matter. The thing that I didn't realize before is that all these environments that we're in have germs and this kind of thing. And wearing the mask really cut down on stuff like the common cold and other things. So. I'm going to always incorporate a mask and I'm I'm be honest, I'm not wearing it. I'm not obsessed with it. But most of the time when I go in a new environment, yeah, I'm gonna be wearing a mask, man, because I just think it's safe and responsible. I mean, what's the big deal? What could it hurt? 
So William mentioned that he's going to continue to wear a mask and not just for COVID. So I want to ask you, Dr. Hildreth, how do you foresee the way we've been approaching disease prevention in general changing as a result of this pandemic? One of the great outcomes of the pandemic, Khalil, is that there's an increased awareness of how diseases are spread, especially viral diseases. And I suspect that a number of people with that awareness will now, as Mr. Jenkins stated, wear a mask when they go into new environments. And masks work when they're appropriately used. And it's why people in healthcare use them to protect the patients and themselves. That's been true for a really long time. So I'm excited that there's an increased level of awareness and knowledge about uh, infectious diseases. And that's a good thing going forward. Um, and I also think dropping of the mask mandates on, on public transportation, in my humble opinion, was a mistake. Uh, public transportation represents ideal conditions for viruses to be transmitted. You're in a closed space with limited circulation most of the time, especially on buses. Uh, airplanes are maybe different, but generally speaking, public transportation is a place where viruses can easily be transmitted, especially airborne viruses like SARS-CoV-2. So my advice to people is that if you're on public transportation, I would continue to wear a mask um, unless you know all the persons in the vehicle with you or whatever the mode of transportation might be, it's probably wise to, to wear a mask. And I'm gonna continue to do so when I'm in a closed space with a number of individuals that limited air circulation. Because again, this is an airborne virus and in situations where the movement of air is limited, and there's crowded conditions, it would be wise to wear a mask. Do you, along with wearing masks, a lot more people have been doing things simply as like washing their hands a lot more rigorous, rigorously and regularly. Do you see something like that keeping up? Well, you know, one of the observations that was made uh, about a year into the pandemic was that other infectious diseases that we normally be concerned about or dealing with were drastically reduced. As a matter of fact, I think flu virtually disappeared from the planet because people were doing those things you mentioned. We now know that SARS-CoV-2 is not so much transmitted from surfaces uh, like uh, other respiratory viruses, but the washing of hands and the other things that people were doing, sterilizing surfaces, limited the transmission of those other viral pathogens that we are concerned about. So I think that we should all keep those habits going and it reduced the disease burden from other things that we're concerned about, flu and other respiratory viruses. So again, a consequence of the pandemic is to educate the public about how those simple habits can reduce the likelihood of diseases, not just COVID-19, but others as well. Erica Hernandez left us a voice message at thisisnashville.org. She's a new mother, and she says COVID is still a big concern in her day-to-day -day life. Let's listen. We have... Um... Uh, seven months baby she's obviously not vaccinated yet even though that we're both boosted we feel that is a huge risk so in my everyday life I keep acting as the beginning of COVID I still not going to crowded places if I go to the grocery store I wear a mask and I don't think it's over. I don't know why people think it's over. It's, it sounds crazy to me. And I know all the new moms as me, they feel the same way. 
our last guest, Stacey Irvin, who has MS, brought this up too. So how can all of us work to help protect the most vulnerable going forward, like Stacey and Erica's newborn baby? Uh, it's a great question. And uh, I just tweeted about this the other day that the best way to protect children who are not yet vaccinated is for the adults to do what they need to do, which is to get vaccinated and boosted, to wear a mask in crowded places. The, the bottom line is clear is that we should not bring the virus home to those who are not yet protected. And that includes children, young children, that includes elderly parents and grandparents, that includes immunocompromised individuals. We who don't have those circumstances are best able to protect them by doing the things that we need to do. And again, vaccinations, uh, wearing a mask when, when appropriate, because we don't want to bring the virus home to those who will be not able to deal with it as well as the, the rest of us. So I think that the, the guest or the person who just called in is exactly right. We need to do all that we can do to protect those who can't be vaccinated yet and those who are most vulnerable. We know who they are. So I think that's the best thing to do in that circumstance. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking with Dr. James Hildreth, who is answering your questions about the pandemic. I've been really curious how kids are feeling throughout all this. Here's a question we got from 11-year-old Esme. Do you think that the behavior of people right now is going to negatively affect um, the way that COVID turns out and, like, how it unfolds? Or is like if it's gonna get better or worse because of how people are behaving? Because some people are behaving positively and some people are not. Dr. Hildreth? <laughs> well, I, I think the young caller makes an excellent point and it just emphasizes that we're all in this together and our behavior in terms of infectious diseases that are transmitted through the air we impact the health of each other. And to the extent that individuals refuse to take steps to mitigate virus transmission vectors, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that people are acting badly, but those who are not taking steps to protect themselves are in fact putting others at, har in a, at harm's way. And I think that's why it was so important early on in the pandemic to emphasize this point that when you take steps to protect yourself from SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. You are in fact taking steps to protect the community and those around you. And to the extent that we're not able to get people to understand it or to do that, then you're, the young caller is right that, that that creates uh, challenges for the rest of the community when we don't do as individuals the things that, that should be done to protect ourselves. I mean, and I think that's something that's been a challenge throughout the last two years. Something that has also happened in the last two years is we've understood and we've been able to see kind of disparities in our social system. I mean, we look at the numbers, the pandemic has had a horrific effect on black and brown people. So how are we going to create equity within our public health plan? So Khalil, that was the question that was put before us, the members of President Biden's COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. And you're right, the the some of the statistics are quite shocking. Uh, at one point in some of the major cities in the United States, the death rate from COVID-19 among African-Americans was almost 10 times higher than it was for white Americans in those same cities. 
And that's because uh, COVID-19 is especially challenging for those with underlying conditions, asthma, heart disease, um, those who smoke, those who are obese, cancer, and all those things have a much higher prevalence in minority communities than in white communities. And so there is a disproportionate burden of disease and death in minorities. So one of the, the big issues is to make sure that we manage chronic conditions better, which means we have to have access to healthcare for all individuals uh, in our society. And we know it's not gonna be acted on, but our major recommendation, <laughs> the number one recommendation, at least from my perspective, is that healthcare should be declared a human right. And regardless of your income, your race, your gender, your zip code, all of us should have the same access to quality healthcare as anyone else in our country. Um, and we just got to raise the awareness. I mean, many people weren't aware that there's this gap in, in health status in our communities. And thankfully now, federal agencies, healthcare systems, health delivery systems, are now focused on this. And I think there's gonna be some real changes going forward. So I'm excited about that. So we've heard a lot about long COVID and we got a tweet from the local CIBS, Sib Center, saying that research estimates that there's about 40% of COVID cases globally may lead to long COVID. In the US alone, that can mean around 30 million people. What do we know yes. at this point about long COVID? Well, it's a medical, puzzle at the moment, but one of the things that's quite uh, perplexing about it is that it can involve multiple systems in the body, GI tract, the nervous system, circulatory system. I mean, it's really quite amazing how many organs in the body are impacted by long COVID. And you're right, the estimates are between 20 and 45% globally of people who had COVID-19 will have long COVID. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is that some of the symptoms associated with long COVID are uh, amorphous and not measured by objective tests that you can do in a lab. And sometimes when people present to physicians with those kinds of conditions, they may not be necessarily taken seriously or they just may, may not be the adequate knowledge or insights to know what to do about it. And so a lot of people are gonna be dismissed who have long COVID um, by providers. So we need, gotta make sure we do an all out effort to make physicians, especially primary care physicians, aware of what it is, how to diagnose it, and to make sure that people are not dropped out of care because we don't understand this. And it's a huge problem in the United States, it's going to be. Um, and I think COVID-19 treatment centers are being set up by medical healthcare systems around the country. I think there's gonna be one at Vanderbilt. Uh, we're contemplating establishing one at Meharry. Uh, we want to make sure that anyone who has long COVID can get the care they need. So that's become a national priority. But for the time being, the causes of long COVID are not fully understood, but we do know that it can be very impactful and can last a long time. Let me point out that for the SARS, original SARS pandemic back in 2003, there were people who could not return to work for as long as two years because they had symptoms of SARS that lasted that long. So this is a serious problem and it's gonna get a lot of attention. So let's listen to another voice message we got from listener Andra Moran last week. I tested positive yesterday for the first time. And um, actually the doctor that gave me my results 
told me that she was surprised I'd made it this far. My job is to be in front of people and to be with people. And so this past week I was at work in front of a lot of people. So it doesn't really come as a surprise to me that I'm sick now, but I am disappointed that uh, we couldn't work together more as a society to to help eradicate this disease. Um, so yeah, I would say things are not back to normal for me. One of the things I keep reminding my young child is that our ability to adapt is pretty significant. When it's raining, we look out the window, we see it's raining, we pack a raincoat or we take an umbrella. And I feel like that's how we've been with COVID. As the numbers have risen, we've changed our activities. Um, when the numbers recede, then we you know go out a little bit more. And I feel like that's going to be built into the rhythm of our daily lives for the foreseeable future. So we got just a minute left. We're over two years into this pandemic. So what does the future look like for us and our mental health? I think the next uh, two years we'll see us um, in an endemic phase. And what that means is there'll be outbreaks of COVID-19 in various places and there'll be a local response to try to keep it in control. And the antivirals, Paxlovid, for example, can be used when person tests positive to keep the virus in check. So I think the next couple of years, we'll see us in an endemic phase. And I can't really speak to what we're gonna do about the mental health aspects of this, but I do know it is a major focus for national organizations and major healthcare systems around the country. So I feel confident we're gonna find some solutions. We really appreciate you being on the show and you answering not only my questions, but the questions from the community. Dr. James Hildreth, president of Meharry Medical College, thank you again so much for being here. Thank you, Khalil. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts and share that link with anybody you think may be interested in this episode today. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Blake Farmer. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. And tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lekolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.